passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby! Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Post Wrestling's Impact Slammiversary Post Show. I am John Pollock, and if it's an Impact pay-per-view post show, it means there is only one person that I can call upon. I put all my batteries into the trusty Nate signal, and like a charm, he is there to respond to all of your requests to come chat about tonight's Impact pay-per-view. Nate Milton, the godfather himself, the man behind the Rocky Maivia picture show, one of the many kings of sport. There's two of them, and we are so lucky to be joined by Nate Milton himself tonight. What is going on, Brother Pollock? I, I just figured it out. I am your Captain Marvel for Impact Wrestling. You, whenever, whenever. We, we don't know when you're going to come. You yes. always are the most powerful. You can do so much, but you're so busy. <laughs> like You can't just be focused on uh, these little problems of regular superheroes. Yeah, and, and you know, you just get out the the old busted pager, and then then you you hit me up, and I I appear, and so uh, I I I treasure these these semi annual uh meet meetups we have to discuss Impact Wrestling, brother. Well, uh, we always look forward to your celebrity skin joining us uh, to chat about it, or whatever other whole references maybe I can make from the. <laughs> Captain Marvel soundtrack. Uh, we have lots to discuss from uh, an interesting pay-per-view from Impact Wrestling. Uh, we are going to dive into all of that. Uh, a big story coming out uh, late Sunday night, and I'll probably be writing about this and talking about it more on Monday, but the passing of legendary CMLL owner uh, Paco Alonso, someone that when you look at the most influential people in wrestling over the past three decades, he's up there. And, uh, you know, a lot of people associated with CMLL, uh, Lucha Libre as a whole, there's a really, really engaging uh, video that Chris Jericho just put up where he is in tears, uh, 
you know, crediting Paco Alonso for his break as Corazon de Leon in CMLL. And I'm certain that Monday this is going to be an even bigger story because this was a real big power player in Lucha Libre. So that was kind of just breaking as this pay-per-view was going down. But uh, anything else from, from the weekend, Nate, that jumps out at you? Uh, were you able to catch any of the G1 show on Saturday? What is kind of your uh, your most recent pro wrestling diet consisting of? Honestly, I was a a very determined dieter this weekend, John. I I didn't watch uh, any of the G1. I'm probably, just due to my schedule, I'm probably going to end up watching it when it's done and watching it as a as a complete thing. Uh, so the only thing I really took in, like I didn't even check out uh, UFC last night. Uh, the only thing I watched was uh, was Impact. And, and so it, it had my undivided attention this week. Well, if you can spare five seconds, there's quite a knockout from the UFC card on Saturday night involving uh, Jorge Masvidal and Ben Askren. It was quite the card on Saturday night. And, you know, this weekend was insane. Next weekend is even more insane. There are, uh, of course, there's a UFC card. There's there's going to be a UFC card every weekend. But then we've got two G1s, the mm. AEW show on Saturday night, which is head-to-head with the Evolve show. And then an extreme rules show as well on Sunday night. And <laughs> I'll say this. I, I feel like stomping grounds just happened. And the reason I feel like that is because stomping grounds just happened. So I'm not really ready for another WWE pay-per-view. I'll say as well, I'm not really ready for another big AEW show. Like we yeah. just watched fighter fest. I, I could use some extra breathing room, but uh, we'll see how things go. But next weekend looks totally insane. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned there's two G1s next Saturday and Sunday morning. So there's those in there as well. Just these weekends are getting crazy, Nate. It's the old adage, I, I can't miss you if you don't leave. And <laughs> that's how I feel sometimes about, you know, these shows. But fortunately, you know, we kind of live in, uh, well, fortunately for the viewers, you know, that that uh, are laymen with this, John, that don't have to uh, create content around it. Uh, we, we can watch it at our own leisure. So, like, I'll probably, like I said, catch the G1 once it's all concluded. I might, you know, check out the Evolve show after it's done. Uh, I'll definitely uh, probably be checking out uh, Fight for the Fallen the night of, and then Extreme Rules. That's probably something I'll watch maybe Monday if I'm off from work on that day. But, you know, it's it's crazy that there is just so much content and so much good content, as we'll talk yes. about here in a bit with Impact. So, you know, it, it's a bit of a cliche to say, but if you're a fan of professional wrestling – then this is a great time to be around because there are so many avenues to watch things. And if the WWE isn't your cup of tea, there's a million other cups on the table. Let's transition to Impact. And the last we talked was after the Rebellion pay-per-view, which was at the end of April, just over two months ago. They're returning here to pay-per-view with Slammiversary. Uh, kind of give us kind of your your time and temperature when it comes to impact and how regularly you're keeping up with it uh, in anticipation for this pay-per-view. Impact wrestling has been really good. They've been really strong, really consistent uh, for the better part of a year and a half. You know, I, I knew we were going to be having this conversation in particular about uh, my, my viewing habits of impact. Uh, and so I went back and I was like, okay, when's the last time there was a really bad episode of impact or a really bad pay-per-view? And I had to go all the way back to like 2017. Yes. That was a rough period. And they've, you know, it's, it's been a very consistent product and they, 
they don't do pay-per-views every four weeks and yeah. they do, you know, sometimes better than other buildups. But I-, I thought this Slammiversary show was one where you had eight weeks and they built up the key programs and it felt like, you know, these feuds have reached a crescendo and it's time to do the big match at Slammiversary, which is very reminiscent of last year's Slammiversary, I thought, mm-hmm. where you felt it is time for a pay-per-view for all these programs that have been uh, that have reached a boil. Yeah, and and so like I've enjoyed the build up to Slammiversary. I'm still watching primarily uh through Twitch and and when I'm not watching on Twitch, I'll catch the clips on YouTube, but I mean, I know there's rumors about Impact maybe finding a new place to lay their lay their hat. So I'm I'm hoping that comes true because it's a really good show that nobody's watching. Yeah, it's it's been like I I think the Pursuit Channel, it was sort of a a, a means to an end and I I mean we can uh, lay it out. The uh, Voices of Wrestling crew, they had uh, Joe Lanza had the report this week that Impact in talks with Access TV, but a- as of you know the latest was no deal has officially been signed yet. But there's obviously optimism on Impact side that that is where they hope to to land. Which I, I mean, for you, Nate, is Access to me has to be a, a an enormous improvement over the Pursuit Channel, which, you know, as Canadian viewers, we can watch Impact through the Fight Network. We can watch it through uh, – it airs on this other channel called Game TV and mm. uh, typical – and you can also get it on Twitch as well. So those are kind of your your three go-to points if you're a Canadian viewer following this. But uh, for you, I mean, you stated prior, like Pursuit was uh, – you were in pursuit of finding that channel. Mm. Uh, access, I would imagine, a bit easier. Yeah, access definitely has more reach, particularly in this area, and so I think it'll it'll help. I don't know to what degree it'll help because I was trying to think of a good analogy for this company, uh, John. And do you remember the Simpsons episode with the B sharps? No, definitely. Okay, so the B sharps were this barbershop quartet that Homer Simpson formed with uh, Barney Gumble, Apu, and uh, uh, Principal Skinner. We're all at the edge of our seats. I'm looking forward to where this one's going. <laughs> and they had this big hit, and they were they were kind of a craze for a summer or two. Okay. And then personal jealousy and infighting and bad business deals broke up the group. But then at the end of the episode, where you know everybody's kind of drifted apart and nobody's paying attention to the B sharps anymore, they show up on top of Moe's Barbershop and have one last reunion concert and brings the whole town out. And that's how I feel about TNA, John. Like they had a a one or two year window when they actually could have been legitimate competition and maybe if not competition, an alternative to the WWE where fans were invested in them. But they made so many bad mistakes and had such bad luck that people just stopped caring. And so these pay-per-views feel like, you know, once or twice a year we get the guys hopping back up on that rooftop and singing this beautiful song. And we're like, Oh, that was really nice. I really missed those guys. And then two weeks later, nobody remembers to be sharps anymore. So that, that's how I feel about impact. Like they give us these great, these great shows er, twice a year, but then because of the mistakes of the past, they don't have the traction and they don't have the credibility with people to keep people coming back. I think that especially over these past few months, as you've seen, you know, it, even the eternal optimist going into the AEW experiment, I don't mm-hmm. think they could have predicted some of the business success that they have had so far. These immediate sellouts, the the numbers that they've been able to generate, uh, pay-per-view buys without yep. television, that I-, I think one of the real detriments to Impact's legacy was their lack of 
confidence in presenting something truly different and not believing that there was enough of an audience that was craving seeking something different and Mm -hmm. also had the disposable income to support something that was truly alternative. And we saw that with Impact time after time that when it came to making that next step, it was always off the backs and the shoulders of who were the stars of the late 90s and relying on on you know proven commodities instead of looking at we've got this blueprint for something completely different and most of them are stars today and mm. it's it's a big what if and also having the platform and spike tv that they could have they could have done so much with that truly alternative product and that's why i really like impact now because yes you know they have stars from the past which we'll talk about uh later john but they're not the focus of the show they're there to enhance your current talent and they got a good group of guys and girls in the company right now. So uh, it's, it's kind of bittersweet, you know, uh, I will always love you is a, is a big song from Spider-Man far from home. And that's all I'll say about Spider-Man far from home. But one of the lines from that song is bittersweet memories. And then that's how I feel about this company. Like I'm glad they're doing well creatively now. Uh, but it feels like if they had, stuck to this plan and maybe if they had had these people you know with Demore and Callis in positions of power five years ago we'd be talking about a different company now and, and a company with credibility amongst the fan base well and I mean with Scott Demore I mean he was the guy in 2005 when you know it was impact might have not been the um the business success but from a aesthetic and from just great reaction to those pay-per-views like scott demore was a key guy he was a new fresh mind that wasn't a product of you know wcw or wwf in the late 90s it was here was someone new and ultimately like he was someone like he was in and out with that company in different iterations he was involved with the knockouts but it seemed like they they went to a point with him and then it was vince russo coming in in 2006 and I think like they had a guy that I feel if they had given more leeway to, it, it would have been something very interesting. But ultimately, I think they felt that we needed these core names, and that was always the the, the carrot that they dangled in front of their mm. fans was the latest free agent that we can bring in and the latest name, and it, it did lead to an identity crisis for them along the way. Yeah, who needs Scott more when you got Hulk Hogan on line three? <laughs> That's it. That's it. That, that's still like I, I love the uh, the opening video because, you know, they anytime they throw Barry Scott, the, the voice of a guy out there, they, they get me, John. But having to hear this man talk about the, the, the greatness of Hulk Hogan, I was like, come on, we, we could have done without that clip. Listen, by the end of the video, you understood the message they were sending, and this segues us into our recap of Slammiversary from Sunday night at Gillies in Dallas, Texas, which I went to a UFC weigh-in in 2014 to Gillies in Dallas. It is a pretty big venue uh, that they, well, big, I would say, for a, a UFC weigh-in. On this show, I mean, I'm not the best at estimating attendance, Nate, but I would guess around seven, 800. Yeah, and, and that's something I'll talk about a little bit later, like the crowd and, and how in or out they were on this show. But uh, yeah, it 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 was a decent is a decent crowd but i think like it looked it looked similar to like a melrose ballroom show which yeah. is not a giant place um it didn't look like you know they were breaking any attendance records here though they had a, a fairly lively crowd i would say throughout I'm, now now i'm just looking up gillies cuz i think 
Gillies is connected with Mickey Gilly, who was like this old character actor and slash singer from back in the 70s and 80s. All right. Well, we, we can do a whole historical look at I think he was, uh, on, <laughs> he was on some Dukes of Hazard episodes or something. Oh, perfect. <laughs> uh, so the opening video package, it is just a montage of we're going through all of TNA stars that are long gone. AJ Styles, Jeff Jarrett, Kurt Angle, Hulk Hogan. I'm like, what are we doing here? <laughs> and then they kind of juxtapose those talents to the modern stars who are positioned as kind of being on the doorstep of greatness. And that's what impact is housing now is like the stars of tomorrow. So I understood the message, but this was also one of those kind of reminders of look who was here and look who has peaced out. And if there's one complaint or criticism, I will say like, even though I love the production and I love hearing Barry Scott uh, at the start of the show again, it feels like, and I don't know if you get this feeling, John, but every time they put together a video, it feels like they're always doing the same thing. Like, we used to be something in the past, and then for some reason we weren't, but now we are again. It's like, I, I, I understand respecting your history, but I think sometimes they lean too heavy into it, particularly when that history has a bad connotation for some fans. Yeah, the um, the boy who cried wolf would be... You know, mm. appropriate in TNA's history, and maybe maybe that's unfair to the current management. That, but you are inheriting the entire legacy of Impact, which has largely always been, yeah. But wait till we show you what we have in store. That yep. has typically been the the message, the the mission statement of Impact Wrestling and every iteration of it. Uh, the show is being called by Josh Matthews and Don Callis, and early on, like, and, and this was kind of an issue for me throughout the early part was that. The crowd was mic'd well, but it was so loud that I had a really hard time even hearing Josh and Don Callis on the show at times. Yeah, I kind of I kind of get what you're saying, but I kind of dug it in that it's a contrast to the, what we normally hear on Impact, which is a dead crowd where you could probably hear Josh and Don without the mics. Yeah. Uh, so I, I enjoyed that, you know, yeah, it was from a production standpoint, it was kind of off, but I like that. Yeah. We got a hot crowd tonight. Yeah. It was, uh, that always seemed to be kind of a, uh, a Heyman go-to as well was the, the, the miking of the crowd versus the announcers. And you're right. If you're, if you're going to pick one over the other, um, that this would be what you would want to convey that hot crowd that could elevate several matches. So going into the show, they had promoted a TJP open challenge, and this really was not presented as an open challenge. It was just the four guys came out. It was TJP, Willie Mack, uh, Trey Miguel, who was back to having his last name after just being Trey the last couple of months. So, uh, But Dez and Wentz uh, have not gotten back uh, their name and a half. I mean, they lost their uh, one of their names and also half of their... <laughs> I mean, we got... Uh, well, I guess Wentz lost his first name. Dez lost Mund and Xavier. <laughs> so maybe slowly but surely. It's like uh, it's like the Infinity War where they, they're they coming back after the blip. Mm. <laughs> have you had a chance to see Spider-Man yet, Nate? I, I have, John Pollock, and I really enjoyed it. Okay, well, maybe at the end of the show we'll get we'll get some thoughts from Nate, some uh, some spoiler free thoughts. So I'll, I'll give everyone the warning there. Uh, so yeah, TJP, Willie Mack, Trey Miguel, and Jake Christ uh, comprised the four audience. As I said, very heated here. They did some very creative multiple man spots and submissions involving all four. Jake Christ uh, dove through the ropes and was uh, landed with a DDT onto 
onto Mac. Uh, Miguel then did the springboard off the middle rope with a tornillo to the floor onto all three of them. Then they came up with this, which got over big with the crowd. TJP applied a surfboard onto Miguel. So Jake climbed on top of TJP as he's holding up Miguel for the pinfall. And Willie Mack came off the top with a double foot stomp to break up all of it. And the audience thought this was super cool. Yeah, it was a very unique spot. I don't know if I've seen uh, a spot like that in a four-way match before. Uh, and all these guys were working really hard. Uh and, and yeah, up to this point, I'm really enjoying the match. I do have some quibbles, but I'll get to that after the finish. Uh, Chris then hit Miguel with a cutter off the top, but in landing it was prone for the frog splash by Willie Mack, who just jumped off and pinned Chris at 9.35. Uh, so Chris kind of set up his own downfall here. Uh, if you enjoy kind of the all-action opener that, you know, a lot of, you know, historically uh, – Scott, the more produced pay-per-views would mm. kind of feature this go-to X division opener to get the crowd going. I think you would get into this. The crowd kind of made this uh, a positive, but it was just all four guys uh, going out there at a very high speed. Yeah, I, I really dug this, John. I thought, you know, they did have some unique, innovative spots. I really liked the, you know, the finishing sequence with the cutter. Uh, and I think they gave it just enough time, like just enough time to get hot, but not enough time so that you're like, okay, we've seen this sequence already. Uh, the only issue I have with this is that if you watch the TV leading up to this, this was being built as, you know, TJ Perkins' big open challenge. And he's been and, undefeated on TV as well. Like that yeah. really wasn't hit over the head that this was, you know, technically he didn't take the fall, but this was a loss nonetheless. And that really yeah. wasn't. Mentioned. He kind of felt like an afterthought yes. at the end of the match. Yeah, I agreed. Yeah, this was re really presented as something centered around TJP, and it was just thrown out as a four-way. Like you would um, – yeah, he just seemed like kind of be lost in the – how we promoted this versus how we delivered it. So so uh, what you're saying is TJP, before the uh, before the show, he said, Scott, this is a, a highlight match for me, right? And Scott Demore said, au contraire, mon frère. <laughs> <laughs> You are saving that one. I love it. Uh, they recapped the tag title switch from Bash at the Brewery on Friday night, which was a special they did on Impact Plus. And they did a title switch on the special, which I kind of like doing something that pushes you to the streaming platform. And it mm. was Ethan Page and Josh, Josh Alexander defeating LAX to win the tag titles and turn this tag title match into a three-way. And if it ended with Ethan Page hitting Santana with a belt shot at the Friday show to win the titles. And then Melissa Santos interviewed the North. And it was uh, – this is the way these backstage segments should go with the North. Alexander, tremendous wrestler, hands off the microphone to Ethan Page who cuts really strong promos <laughs> and ran down anyone who was surprised that they won the tag titles and then just – and then he said – Josh Alexander is going to tell you how this will begin and how this will end. And Josh said, we are the Impact Tag Team Champions. It's like, cool. Ethan Page, uh, very good promo. Yeah, I like these guys as a team. And it's funny because I, I hadn't known about the North until the last show where we talked. Right. Uh, and very quickly, they have become one of my favorite parts of Impact. I was surprised that they did the title switch, but maybe that ties into the status of LAX more so than anything else. Yeah, and we can go into that here. I really enjoy these two together. Like They have a, a long background together. Uh, Alexander has a really captivating story of 
having to retire and then finding out it was a misdiagnosis on his neck and he was able to come back. And like Alexander is a tremendous talent. Very happy to see him get signed. And I think Ethan Page has been someone that, uh, you know, when he was being paired as um, Joseph Park's cousin and doing all the stuff that was not accentuating his strengths. Now you're getting to see that he's getting more mic time and that's where this guy shines. So uh, I think that these two complement each other really well in the tag division together. So we had our three way, the North LAX and Dez and Wentz from the Rascals who had 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 to have a three way with Trey Miguel on Friday's impact where Dez and Wentz got the double pinfall. So they would be the two members of the rascals to represent the team getting the tag title shot. So it started off uh, Alexander early on hit the fall away slam off the top into the, like the fall away slam moonsault combo that Bandito has been doing quite a lot. Um, Page then followed that with a swanton onto Dez and they did this spot where Santana was laid out on the floor and Conan is coming over to the announcers calling for a doctor. He's putting up the X and this leads to Dr. Ariel coming down. He got his name uh, here. <laughs> and if you've been watching Impact, Dr. Ariel has become one of the uh, most focused upon non-wrestlers in in impact at the moment, he has taken, uh, he has been lifted up by Brian Cage. He's taken a fives from Brian Cage. Uh, so he's down here checking on Santana and it, that's how Santana was left the whole match. And it ended with the North double teaming Dez and then doing the same and getting the cover onto Ortiz at 718. And I thought that there was more attention on the, on Santana on the floor than the finish. And it, it just felt like this match didn't really get going. Um, mm. And I would say for considering who was involved, I was a bit disappointed with this because you had a lot of great talent. Uh, it felt rushed to me and there, there was just too much on Santana on the floor. And I think given the fact that it was Dr. Ariel here attending to him, I think that was kind of your, your wink to the crowd that this is a storyline injury. This was my low point of the show. Yeah. Because I had high hopes you, for this one. Yeah, when you tell me you've got uh, the Rascals, the North, and LAX in this three-way match, I'm expecting this to be the show stealer. Because if you go back and look at all the impact shows we've done over the past year and a half, John, the common denominator, the theme that ties all those shows together for the most part, is LAX is always in the best match of the night. And this was not that. This was more so setting up whatever they're going to do for TV. And I felt, you know, this was a waste of the talent of the six guys that you had in the ring. Yeah, yeah. I just think that this was one that people were really looking forward to, especially the LAX, who have become, you know, big players for them on pay-per-view. And um, I I wouldn't say they felt like afterthoughts because there was a a lot of attention on Santana. But this did feel uh, like really rushed and not living up to the expectation set going into this. So... Santana refused to stretch her. He was helped to the back, and I guess they'll play this up on television, this this knee injury. Sammy Callahan cut a promo about all the people that are tweeting about his match with Tessa Blanchard and has made this the most talked about match on the card, and he said he threatened to walk out on impact, and in turn, he got what he wanted, and him and Tessa Blanchard are going to be in the main event tonight. Mm. What did you think of this decision that they did not announce ahead of time? Uh, they announced it on the pay-per-view that these two would be going on last. I was a bit surprised, but knowing what I know now, having seen the entire show, it's the right call. Uh, this is an angle that I had some doubts about, and we can get into that later on when we talk about the match itself. But one thing that has been consistent throughout this is Sammy Callahan is the best heel in the company, bar none. 
And I like the explanation that, you know, he threatened to walk out. And and so this was management caving to him. And, yeah, I, I don't think that, uh, you know, spoiler alert for something we're going to talk about in probably about 30 minutes. But I don't think Elgin and Cage could have followed what Tessa and Sammy did. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. I thought it was very interesting because I'm sure many people, when they heard this promo that Callahan and Blanchard were going on last, would have thought, A, uh, Cage is not 100% and they can't do a, a big main event match, or B, you're getting some bullshit finish in the Impact title match. And yeah. really, neither was the case. And I, I kind of like that, that they sort of, without swerving you, kind of threw that, that doubt uh, by the fact that they were going with a different match in the main event. And I think that Impact, that's one of the things I like about them, is that when they feel a program is hot, they mm. aren't shy about putting something other than the Impact title match as the main event. They've done it in the past with with LAX when they've had their their hot tag programs. They did it here. And I like that kind of matchmaking where you take your hottest program and put the hottest angle into the main event. Yeah, and it doesn't devalue the title because at the end of the night, you know, Brian Cage is still your top guy in the company, but because he didn't go on last, like that that's not a big deal. It 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 it's not something I think that lowers his reputation amongst the fans that actually watch the show. Our next match was a first blood match between Killer Cross and Eddie Edwards. And if you have not been following Impact <laughs> Television, this video package, man, it had everything for you. We had <laughs> Uh, confessions inside of a church. We had a waterboarding angle that was done on Impact where mm. <laughs> they waterboard this dude that is uh, alleged to be the Sandman, but then Eddie Edwards coming to save Jim Fullington uh, reveals uh, not Jim Fullington uh, being <laughs> waterboarded. There's just an innocent bystander that has been uh, waterboarded here backstage. I remember when we I don't know if it was the last show we did, John, or the show before that, where they were starting the the alley, the dark alley story. Yes. And both of us were like, mm, I, I don't know. This, is, this doesn't look like it's going to be good. And I think that was a case of Impact being a little too out there with their storytelling. But Eddie Edwards, to me, has been like in the sweet spot. Whether you go back to him and Sammy Callahan and then the stuff with him and his wife and, and the stuff with Tommy Dreamer, like everything they've done, I feel like they've walked right up to the line of it being too crazy and too out there. And it just, they found a sweet spot of, yeah, let's do some crazy stuff with this guy, but not so crazy that the fans will just reject it. Yeah, it seems like when they do have a program for him that he can really sink his teeth into, that's where you get the the best effort out of that. Mm. I, I do feel that sometimes they almost went too comical with him with the, the kendo stick. and The Kenny. <laughs> almost like he's our Jim Duggan, and I don't think they need him to be Jim Duggan, you know, circa – you know, 1991. I think I, said, I, I thought you were going to go Perry Saturn with Moppy. Well, I that's not the worst comparison either, uh, as a more modern comparison. But I, I think that tonight they kind of got into the version of Eddie Edwards that I think is best suited for this program. Uh, Cross came out wearing this white and black makeup all over his face with a big X on his forehead, and uh, some people were mocking it. I kind of liked the look. I thought it added like a certain maniacal. Uh, presentation to Killer Cross, who I'm a big fan of this guy. I I watch Killer Cross, and every time I see him and I hear his promos, which are very underrated, I think if you were to transplant him into Baron Corbin's spot with Seth mm. Rollins, like, think about that comparison. Mm. Like, I think Killer Cross is someone that um, 
Yeah, I, I just – and I think Impact realizes he's a really great commodity and most importantly, he feels fresh. It's not like he's had all these – all this national exposure with other companies in the US. Like when Impact signed him, I don't know how many people were familiar with Killer Cross. So yeah, yeah. He, he's someone I'm, I'm pretty high on on this program. I definitely wasn't. You know, when they brought him in as, you know, one of Austin Aries' flunkies, quote-unquote, like, I I had no idea who this dude was, but you're right. Just the, the the charisma and the personality in his promos, and I think, especially when you put him together with somebody like Eddie Edwards, like, his style and Eddie's style meshed really well in this feud, and so I thought they did a good job. So, it's a first blood match. Uh, Cross, immediately, they go to the floor, and he just lifts up Eddie Edwards and gives him, like, a baldo bomb onto the corner of the apron that looked just ungodly painful. Uh, Edwards followed with a dive and uh, got nailed with, with a chair into the head and then was hit with a gut-wrench slam off the apron onto a chair on the floor. Edwards came back whipping a chair at Cross, who immediately covered up his face and hid from the referee, but he was not bleeding. Uh, Cross and stomped the hand of Edwards as Edwards is trying to get the kendo stick and Cross just sent the kendo stick to the floor. So he couldn't get uh, Kenny, the kendo stick. Uh, Edwards came back, hit the Boston knee party, and then he grabbed Kenny and brought him into the ring. He swung and missed and then Cross attempted his submission hold, the cross jacket. Edwards fought the hold. They went to the floor. Edwards broke free, hit a tiger driver on the floor, and then inside the ring, he had Killer Cross down on his knees, and Edwards had Kenny. And in a moment that uh, I'm sure uh, was as emotional for many as it was when Shawn Michaels was about to end Ric Flair's career, <laughs> Edwards told Kenny, I love you, before snapping Kenny in half and using the broken kendo stick to stab Killer Cross in the face. And Matthews was saying he was going for the, the mouth. And Cross started bleeding. And the match ended at 11 minutes and 25 seconds. So this very much felt like a exclamation point at the end of this. I, I should say a pretty sharp daggered exclamation point at the end of this feud uh, with Eddie Edwards winning uh, concisively. Um, I should say decisively. And uh, it looks to be the end of this program and maybe the end of Kenny. That finishing sequence is like the encapsulation of why I, I dig Eddie Edwards because he can do something as silly as, you know, pledge his undying love to this inanimate object. And then the, in the next second, he's stabbing it down this man's throat. And I was just like this, this man, I'm, I'm not usually a big fan of hardcore matches, but if there's a story behind it, I can get into it. And I got into this. I, I dug the story that they've told on impact leading up to this. And I think that, when you have Eddie as this kind of, I don't want to say modern day Tommy Dreamer because I think that simplifies it too much, but he's, he's like this hardcore dude who we really shouldn't be behind, but we're behind him because we know it at his core, he's a good dude, even though he's kind of crazy and out of his mind. Uh, and, and I thought Killer Cross was like a perfect foil for him because Killer Cross comes across as somebody who has it all together, who's got it all figured out. But he's he's just as insane as Eddie. And so I think when you put them two together in the same match, it, it just really worked for me, John. And I'm just curious now as to what they do next with Eddie. 
Yeah, I think that's kind of the intrigue coming out of this is like, is this um, sort of an update on the character to give a more kind of focused direction in a higher profile position? And, you know, I, I don't know specifically if he worked with them putting together this match, but when it comes to a lot of like the dark stuff and, you know, he was very involved in all of the alley and Rosemary stuff. Mm. Um, I, I think one of their secret weapons is Jimmy Jacobs that is able to take a lot of this and and add a certain style of storytelling to it that is able to land a lot better when we see so many of these instances of trying to do some of the more out there kind of angles that sometimes are mocked and impact is able to kind of skirt that line at times. Sometimes they do go too far for me, but more often than not, it seems like you you can see that there is a lot of attention to detail that's focused on. And I want to give credit to Josh and Callis as well, because I thought they did a really good job calling this match and explaining the, the rivalry between the two guys and making sense out of all the, the, the plunder that was going on. And they have been really good. Like ever since they put them together, uh, they have been a really good team and an underrated commentary team. And that just continued for me on this show. Yeah. I think that the two have really started to gel together quite, quite a bit. And I think, uh, Callis is very good at getting the story of the match across and Matthew's kind of conveying what the story is going in as well. I thought there were several instances on this show where you could see them really, you know, laying out what the story is and kind of projecting the fact that maybe not everyone that's tuning into this pay-per-view is watching every week, which is, there's probably a good chance many are that just they'll tune in for an impact pay-per-view, see what they're up to. And that's how they follow it. It's not following it week to week. It's, uh, if a pay-per-view has some buzz, they might check it out. Uh, we go backstage to their uh, investigative reporter, uh, Rolando Melendez, who is uh, Rafael Morphy, who is actually now working with AEW, but I guess still doing this uh, this backstage role. And he went up to Tessa Blanchard and asked her what she thought about her main event match with Sammy Callahan. Uh, quite the vague question. And he got shoved up against the wall and Tessa just moved on. So I don't know. Did Tessa know that the, the match was changed to a main event? Well, I thought because that she, she I thought arrived like halfway through the show. Yeah, they explained she just arrived, and I'm thinking, well, this is the first she is supposed to be hearing that this is the main event. And he goes out of his way to say main event match. So I thought we were going to get uh, Blanchard reacting to it being the main event, but instead she just wanted to uh, murder this guy. So that was that. <laughs> Uh, then we had M- Melissa Santos. This was um, pretty much every match. She did a pre-match interview with one of them, and she interviewed Rob Van Dam. Before you get to this, because I've got thoughts on, on Rob Van Dam here. Okay. But what did you think of the, of the kind of formatting of match backstage, match backstage? Because I think in some instances it worked, but in others – I felt that time backstage might have been better used doing something else. By the time it got too repetitive for me, um, I did like the fact that when they finally got to the title match, Elgin was something different where he wasn't. uh, I guess they did this with Sammy Callahan as well. They were the two that they just cut promos into the camera and there was no Mm -hmm. Melissa Santos. So I like that they break, they broke up the format because it just felt very rigid that this is. It was just very cookie cutter for each segment that we had to have this. And like there were uh, one of the questions I always hate, and this is not specific to Melissa Santos, but she did ask it a number of times was just your thoughts on blank. (laughs) And I just think that you can couch the question more, um, more creatively than uh, Nate Milton, your thoughts on this match. 
Nate Milton, your thoughts on this person? And this one was like even less than that because she pretty much just says, Rob, uh, your thoughts on Moose and all of the stuff that's going on. And then Van Damme proceeded to just ramble about (laughs) all these different non sequiturs. He respects Moose for challenging him, not asking the writers for this match. He thinks bully is a, he thinks Moose is a bully and he has a place in his heart for bullies. I didn't know if that meant that he has a certain anger for bullies or he actually has a soft spot for bullies and can kind of appreciate this guy as a bully. Um, Anyway, if if you are one of those people that constantly advocate for non-scripted promos, Rob Van Dam is the devil's advocate. <laughs> oh yeah, the, I, I will say that this was the the, the worst showing for Rob tonight because I have been impressed with the way he's looked in ring uh, on this on his latest comeback, but talking wasn't his strong suit ten years ago, and it's not now. No, there was one um, right back when he came. When he returned to Impact, and he had a segment that man Ethan Page just carried this segment in the yes, ring. Yes, yeah. Because uh, Van Dam, it was just like he just had had nothing to say other than like some some catchphrases. Um, so we go into our match, and for those that haven't been following, Moose has been feuding with all the old ECW guys, and Rob Van Dam, I guess, is kind of the the culmination of the ECW gauntlet. Although. With an appearance later tonight, maybe there, maybe there's another <laughs> obstacle in Moose's way. Uh, we could have to, we could have the the Moose and the Rhino combining to mm. have some kind of uh, battle of the species, I guess. Um, Van Dam hit Moose with a hurricane rod on the floor, and then followed with a senton. You know, Van Dam is 42 now, and I, I will say one thing with with Van Dam is that. He still is over with the audience that is very nostalgic for this guy. I do think Van Dam could serve to update some things about him because so much of the Rob Van Dam persona is like this youthful daredevil that it's a bit tougher now when he's 42. And, you know, I look at Chris Jericho, who is someone that constantly evolving, constantly updating. And Van Dam has kind of just maintained this kind of same style, same look, same delivery as he was doing in 1998. Yeah, especially with the advent of MMA and, you know, kind of that integration into wrestling. I think Rob Van Dam is somebody who could, you know, use more strikes, who could do a little bit more grappling so that way he doesn't have to put his body through the same hell that he put it through 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, like again, even just little things, like just, you know, with the the singlet, like just little things that are just like, uh, just, just a slight update on things. Um, Moose took over back into the ring. He grounded him for quite a while. And then Moose ran towards Van Dam, and he was back body dropped onto the elevated ramp. So they fought there. Moose came back. He hit the uh, the top rope drop kick with Van Dam seated there. And then the go to hell for a near fall. Moose followed with a DDT. And then he climbed to the top and went for his own five-star frog splash, and he missed. Uh, the referee was moved out of the way, and this allowed Moose to hit Van Dam with a low blow, and there were quite a lot of low blows on this show. Moose grabbed a chair, the referee tried to stop him, and then Moose won out. He's holding the chair, and you don't hold a chair when Rob Van Dam is there, and boom, Moose got hit with a Van Daminator. Uh, Van Dam then missed with the frog splash, landed on the chair, which was underneath Moose, and Moose hit the spear, pinning Van Dam. At 13 minutes and 52 seconds. And, you know, as I think about it now with Moose and our uh, 
debuting uh, WWE star with the gore and the spear seems almost like a natural that that's where things could uh, at some point end up. So Moose wins the match. I was glad to see he won uh, because I think he was the one that, that should have won this match. And that's the role Van Dam should be in. I, I think it, it's fine to have your legend on the roster that's active in Van Dam, but I don't think he should be your top pushed babyface at this stage of his career. I really dug this match. I think, you know, there were some spots where it was a little off, but you have to also understand, like you said, John, RVD is not 24 anymore. You know, he's 42. And Moose, as much as I love Moose, and I think he's been doing some great character work the last six, seven months, he's not Shawn Michaels in the ring either. Uh, and so you're going to get what you're going to get. But I thought that this, they told a good story throughout the match, and the right guy went over, which is a positive for TNA or Impact Wrestling because when they were TNA, uh, this wasn't always the case. You know, with that we'd put our own guy, the younger guy, uh, over on the, the star. And so I thought that was a good decision. The only quibble I have with this match, and I know I just praised Josh Matthews not 10, 15 minutes ago, John. Uh-oh, here comes the attack. But my man Josh Matthews said in this match on – what I presume is international television. Moose is great, Don. Have we ever seen somebody come from football and take to wrestling like Moose has? Oh, boy. And I'm like, sir, do, do, do you not know about Bill Goldberg? Do you not know about Big Cat Ernie Land? Do you not know about Flying Brian Pillman? Well, at least he didn't name drop Pac-Man Jones. <laughs> Former TNA World Heavyweight Ch- uh, Tag Champ. Pac-Man yeah. Jones. Yeah, I mean, we had, we had Brian Urlacher come in uh, at one point yep. uh, on yeah. a TNA show. Bart um, Scott. Uh, who was the guy? D'Angelo Williams a couple years ago? D'Angelo was... He, oh, man, how could he possibly uh, ignore D'Angelo Williams, who might have been the best crossover they had for, for a guy who had one match? Yeah. Um, man. Um, I'm surprised he hadn't done more in, in wrestling. And, and prepared with Moose as well. Did, did he have the match with Moose? I'm trying to remember yeah. now. Yeah, I think so, because it was a... Or was it a tag? It might have been a tag. Yeah. Um, that was, that was 2017. So. Yeah, I think it was a tag because, uh, uh, D'Angelo got, ended up getting the pin. Yeah. I, I thought the match was adequate. I wouldn't go beyond that. And I was happy to see Moose win. I think that was an interesting, it, it was an interesting, uh, booking decision to see which way they would go here because i think at a time uh it would have been without thought uh van damme's the established guy he goes over but is van damme your future he's not so i was glad he was in this role and it was also a a pretty clean win for moose as well i like that And rvd doesn't lose anything from this no and nor should he like he to me is a novelty on impact programming now he to me would not be if impact kind of has their four to five protected guys that are their main event guys van damme isn't one of those five moose uh you could argue should be or is at least on the cusp of being one of those protected five guys and uh, don Callis has talked about that like kind of having their main event mix of guys that are their they're isolated top guys and not booking everyone 50-50 so no one gets over. Like, they have their chosen few. And Moose, obviously, I think is someone that they want eventually to be in that that top rung. Well, that was a question I was going to ask you because I, I think it was about a year ago, maybe this time last year, where both of us thought Moose was going to go over uh, for the title. With Austin Aries, yeah. yeah. Instead, he lost and then had to do the, like, the Hiroki Goto where he loses to the champion and then joins his faction, which is what we got. And... I, I disagreed with it at the time. Uh, 
you could argue whether it was time or not for Moose to win, but they really built him up for that. I do feel the heel run has given Moose uh, a lot a lot of confidence. He does a lot more promos now that uh, the heel run has been good for him. Uh, but yeah, they, it was, yeah, I would say a puzzling decision last year when they built him up so much and he lost in the way he did. So do you think after uh, the Moose thing, if, if, if they do go with Moose and Rhino, do you think after that we get, Moose and Cage, perhaps? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who said anything about Ry- who- Rhino? Was Rhino on this show? Wait a minute. I was talking about the Spider-Man villain, Rhino. Paul Giamatti is, is going to come in. And- oh, wow. Paul Giamatti. <laughs> Playing the role of Paul Heyman, everybody, is uh, Paul Giamatti for us. Um, Sorry, what was the question? Uh, do, do you think after uh, – his next feud with with whoever it might be with, do you think that we see Moose uh, looking towards that title picture? I I think so. Like they they positioned several people for to to be sort of in that title mix, and I think Moose is may, maybe the front runner. Like he got a, a solid win, and that was one part here was that um, Josh Matthews did bring up immediately whether this win will put him in line for a title yeah. shot. So I like when they do that and kind of they plant the seeds of what they want the viewer to be ready to anticipate as the the next big program. And they kind of hinted it here with Moose. So yeah, maybe that's next for Brian Cage. Santos interviewed Taya Valkyrie, who brought up that Santos has a wedding to be planning for, and clearly she lost her invitation in the mail. Uh, she ran down Sue Young and her gobbledygooker emo chicks that she surrounds herself with. <laughs> and having to defend her title in a Monsters Ball match is like bringing a Lamborghini to a demolition derby. Uh, so it is Taya Valkyrie defending the knockouts title against Sue Young, Rosemary, and Jessica Havoc in the first female Monsters Ball match. And I was curious going into this one, Nate, because of the... Uh, of what you have established, Monsters Ball being their most violent match, never doing it with women before, uh, I-, I felt like you had to do a pretty violent match. And would there be people that would be turned off by that kind of thing? Um, just just the fact that it- it's women involved. And that-, that might sound kind of you know sexist, but I think that there is certainly some audience members that are more squeamish seeing women doing these violent spots than men, even though it's something that is done in Japan very frequently and it's not novel. But I was curious going into this and, you know, the the end result, I I thought that these women did a tremendous job. And not to bring up an old podcast that that I used to be a co-host on, John, but I'm going to keep it 100 with you. Because going into the show, this was by far the match I had the most interest and anticipation for. Uh, because I am a fan of all four of the women involved. And I think, you know, Father James Mitchell has been a great addition to this story. And when you add in that component of a Monsters Ball match, which whether you like it or you hate it, it has certain expectations and certain tropes associated with it in terms of the violence level and in terms of what you're going to see in terms of, you know, the, the, the physicality. In the match, and so I had high hopes for this, and then I, I was hoping that I wouldn't be let down, and I was not let down. This ended up being not my favorite match on the show, but certainly in my top three. Uh, yeah, I would say up to this point in the show, I, I thought it was the best match on the show, uh, and th- this was really like the turning point of the show, if you think about it. Like, not that the matches we've already talked about weren't good, but it I was think- a good show, and these yeah. last four show the, the last four matches for me really made the show. Yep, it, it kicked up a gear after this match, or so, during this match. 
Um, early on, they did the spot, and this was really funny. Taya took a photo of herself <laughs> and stapled it onto Sue Young's forehead. And the part that I found funny is that there was a spot that they had just done. Uh, World Series Wrestling is a group out of Australia, and they did a match last week with Joey Ryan and Joey Janela, where they did this with a photo of Jim Cornette and stapled it to Janela's forehead. So I can't imagine that this was not uh, a direct uh, play off of that spot that people were talking about last week, uh, this time using Taya's photo. Yeah, I thought that was a really good spot. Uh, there were a couple really interesting spots in this match. I didn't know about the uh, Janela and Ryan deal going into it, but now knowing that, yeah, that adds another level of, ah, that, that's that's clever. You You get credit for that spot. Uh, then they brought in the procession of weapons. We had trash cans, cookie sheets. A dog collar was applied uh, to uh, Rosemary, and then Sue Young attached it to her own neck and then brought out the dreaded bloody glove. But before she could use it, Taya nailed them with a ladder. Then the audience chanted for tables. Uh, Taya was placed in the tree of woe and then lifted Rosemary off the turnbuckle with Sue Young on top for a superplex landing on the ladder as Ooh. Jessica Havoc got out of the way. That looked brutal. Then Rosemary brought out thumbtacks and she started battling with Taya and it ended with a curb stomp right near the tax and they shot it at an angle where it looked like Rosemary didn't come right into contact with the tax, but it was close enough that it looked as though she may have. So I thought they shot it fairly well. Uh, Young then missed Havoc with the mist and hit Father Jim Mitchell on the apron. Young applied the mandible claw onto Havoc, who broke free. Cut to the apron, and Taya takes off Rosemary and puts both of them through a table onto the floor. And then Havoc hits a super tombstone off the middle turnbuckle to Sue Young on top of the tax. And Havoc's got the match won when Taya shows up out of nowhere because it was a close shot of Havoc with Sue Young. And Taya nails Havoc with a chair and steals the cover on Sue Young at 11.44. These four women killed it. I thought this was... A great match. They, to me, they did a tremendous job with the Monsters Ball gimmick. And I didn't think it was an easy stipulation to live up to because of past iterations of the match. But I thought all these four women worked hard. And this was a pay-per-view very much showcasing their knockouts division that I feel is the strongest asset that Impact has right now is their knockouts division. And the depth that they have with these four and then Tessa in the main event as well. I really enjoyed this match. I thought that not only the performers went out there and, and gave a good account, but as you mentioned, John, the production and the way this was shot and how it came across on TV, I thought this was one of my favorite Monsters Balls uh, that, I've, that I've seen in TNA because, you know, some of them have been really great, and then you got a lot of them that are just abyss hurting himself for no reason in front of a half-empty arena. Uh, but this, this one stuff was, was all laid out really well. Yes, it, it, it told a really good story. And every 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 spot had a purpose and and yes. and, a, and a motivation behind it. The only thing that I will say I wish would have been done differently, and it has nothing to do with this match, but it, it, in the build up, I wish they could have taken more time to tell the story because it felt like we've just only recently reintroduced Havoc, and to have her and Sue fighting not more than a month after she joins with Father James Mitchell, I could have used more of, of those two in fighting. 
Yeah. Um, I, I get that sentiment. I thought she was really well protected and seems to be the one that will be paired with Taya coming out of this. The fact that she stole the pinfall like that on Sue Young. So maybe that will be our title program coming out of this. But I, I thought this was a big win for all four women. They worked yeah. super hard. It was not, none of the, None of the violent spots felt gratuitous, and I, I think that this was, you know, for for what it was, I, I thought they did a really, really great job. Um, so th- this, this to me, up to this point, was my match of the show. Uh, we go backstage, and Santos interviewed Rich Swan, and <laughs> this was uh, interesting. Where he called the tonight the biggest match of my career <laughs> in Impact. <laughs> That's a hell of a qualifier there. So. With the exception of Bola, everything in WWE, uh, th- this is my biggest career match here in Impact, which has been uh, about a year. So that was uh, Rich Swan's proclamation for this match. He was interrupted by Johnny Impact and John E. Bravo. And uh, Johnny Impact did a Johnny Impact promo. Uh, you can take that for what it is. And then they started singing all night long, which was pretty clever with Rich Swan playing off his history. And Swan then proclaimed that his foot was going to knock Johnny's face back to Slamtown. <laughs> I, I enjoyed this. Like I, it wasn't Shakespeare. It wasn't <laughs> even, uh, you know, the MCU level of writing, but I, I dug the, the callback to uh, all night long. Uh, because that is, that's the one thing. Like I always wished when he was in WWE, because they had the money to pay Lionel Richie. I wish they would have used the song one time uh, when he was uh, up there with with the, with the WWE. But I dug the callback, and I really like Johnny Bravo. I don't know why, but he's really good at playing this smarmy sidekick. I think Impact Johnny Impact definitely works better with. Uh, people to play off of. I thought that's why the uh, Worldwide Underground worked mm. so well for him in Lucha Underground. And also, I think Impact, when he's doing his promos, they're way better as post-production pieces. And rather than just sticking a live mic in front of him where uh, you don't have the benefit of uh, music underneath or cutaways. Um, you know, the guy's just not a great promo. I I think Lucha Underground found the the secret sauce with how to present Johnny Impact, and I thought it was his most effective heel work. And I think you're starting to get that now in Impact, where God, I hate this this guy's name. It's got to change. <laughs> I he hate- reminds me of uh, of Jeff Hardy. Like he's somebody that has physical charisma and like a, a star look, but the mic work isn't there. Yeah, um, th- there's uh, certainly to me, it's not like a killer for the guy. It's just. You have to work around that. It's a weakness of his. Um, so they come out for this match. And early on, there's thumbtacks left over from the last match that Johnny Bravo hands over to Johnny Impact. And he tosses them onto the onto the mat. And the referee has to go pick them all up and allows the referee to be distracted. And Johnny going after Rich Swan. Swan avoided a Spanish fly off the turnbuckle and he yanked off Impact. Swan then followed with a cartwheel into a corkscrew on top of Impact, which looked great. And then Swan hit a tornillo to the floor, a top rope elbow. His offense looked great. Uh, Impact came at, came back with the Johnny's Edge, which is like a razor's edge where he puts him on the shoulders, but then spun him into a side slam. Uh, then Impact hit a springboard, uh, went for a springboard spear, but got caught with an uppercut. And the big kickout was Rich Swan from the Starship Pain. Uh, and then Swan came back with this eight strike combination. <laughs> and each 
strike got a bigger a bigger reaction than the last one. Then he hit two lethal injections, climbed to the top, and hit the Phoenix Splash. And that was the end of it. 15 minutes and 9 seconds. And this closing sequence was really great. And the audience accepted it. It was like, I took your finishing move. You didn't beat me. And now you're fucked. Because I'm on special. And I'm going to hit every single one of my maneuvers in succession. And Johnny Impact had no defense. And I would say this turned into a really fun match. Especially down the stretch here at the end. Like These two, they worked very well together. And I thought the ending sequence was just tremendous. Yeah, this match in conjunction with the women's match, like this is, like I said, John, this is when I knew, like, okay, this went from, you know, a six out of 10 show to, no, this is a really good show. And I, I dug the match. I was, I was surprised by the finish because I, I honestly thought Johnny was going to win. And the fact that they made Rich Swan look so strong, uh, he is certainly somebody like, I don't know if, if you put him in that main event tier but he's certainly somebody i would protect because the fans are invested in him he's good in the ring he is somebody that can talk and he's got a star quality and he's somebody you know you can put out there when they're doing these press rounds for bound for glory or whatever that you know he can attract attention so yeah i thought this was a really good match a great performance by both guys and it was one of my two or three uh favorite matches of the night all right you've taken your uh your your uh, gripes with Josh Matthews. So now it's my turn. <laughs> as soon as this ended, listen, both of us just gave our our thoughts on the match. It was very good, but it killed me to hear Josh Matthews proclaim this a five star classic. Don Callis saying it might be seven stars, <laughs> and then Josh Matthews is like lecturing the audience, saying, "If that is not on your ballot for match of the year." He's like, he just can't fathom that you would not have this as one of the matches of the year. And to me, it's like you're forcing fans who have just watched a great match to push back because you're going way too far on this. It was a very good match. Uh, you could debate if it was the match of the night. It was. It's like everything should be in perspective. And you shouldn't have the announcers throwing out statements that are so – so full of hyperbole that it forces the audience to reduce their praise for a match immediately as it ends. And that was my only gripe here was just, you know, and maybe it was Josh's honest belief, but this was not a five-star classic. Yeah. I think that there's a fine line. You have to walk between praising the guys and hyping up your own product versus we get to the place where the audience can't follow you. And can't believe what you're saying. And, you know, Callis going over the top with, you know, yeah, this is a seven star match. Like, okay, let's, let's, let's bring it back, boys. Let's bring it back. You know, it was really good. Like I said, it's, it's probably, I don't know, like it's close between this match, the women's, uh, the, the monster ball and the main event. Like there's some really good matches on the show and this was certainly one of them. But, you know, I think they went a little too far, although I would have, died laughing if uh your boy josh matthews would have had a shout out to grapple at that point like if you don't log on to your phone right now whether it be android or iphone and log on to grapple and give this match five stars then 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 you're not a true fan and you can turn this pay-per-view off right now <laughs> benno i know you're out there <laughs> seven stars Michael Elgin was backstage. I uh, cut a pre-tape promo. Uh, again, I like the fact that he was not just doing the standard interview with Melissa Santos. Uh, he got to just 
cut a promo on his own. He called uh, Brian Cage, calls himself the machine, but he keeps breaking down. Mm. Cage is no machine, and Elgin is unbreakable. Uh, simple to the point, and, uh, you know, just, you know, an intense promo from Michael Elgin, which is all you can ask for. What, what have you made of this feud so far? Because I wasn't necessarily hot on it when it started, but I've it's grown on me. Yeah, I I, I don't think it's it, – it feels like a feud like you could continue beyond uh, this one match. But based on the finish, maybe they're not going that direction. Uh, it's been a good introductory program for, for Michael Elgin. I was kind of curious – you know, he was in the unenviable spot of, you know, Brian Cage had been built up for a while to win the title. This is his first program as champion. So I don't think too many people were expecting Elgin to have a, a, a title switch here. But I think this was more so Elgin going out and having a big main event style match with a guy that he has a big history with. And, you know, I, I think the story kind of touched upon that. But I, I would say it wasn't the strongest story going into this show. But good enough for a, a title program. And yeah, also working around the, the limitations that Cage was legitimately injured coming out of that yeah. pay-per-view and not as active at the tapings as they would have hoped. And and, it's, and not only that, John, but it, and something that I mentioned when they first started this feud, like I like a lot of things about Michael Elgin, but again, he's not somebody that is the rock on the mic. And so and, – and Brian Cage even less than that. And so to be able to make a, a compelling story – built around two guys, one of whom is not really on the show because he's hurt, and the other guy who's not the greatest talker in the world. I thought they did a pretty good job. So Brian Cage and Michael Elgin is second from the top for the Impact title. And again, like I think people in the back of their mind are thinking, trying to think two steps ahead, that if these guys are going on second last, are we getting a bullshit finish? Or are we getting something short, um, what are they going to do here? And, you know, the end result was they went 14 minutes and 10 seconds, and a large portion of the match was focused on Brian Cage coming in with his back injury and Elgin attacking the back early on. Um, Cage landed this somersault over the top and nailed Elgin landing on his feet, which I don't know if that necessarily uh, displayed any deficiencies with the back, but... Elgin was then going to work on the back. He hit a dragon suplex and then a superplex, which began the selling of Cage's back. And that's what Elgin attacked. Uh, Cage came back with a tornado DDT, a 619, and then a pump handle release. And Don Callis, I thought, really stood out in this match in terms of getting across the injury that Brian Cage is dealing with. And that wove into the entire match story. Um, Elgin hit this deadlift powerbomb. And I guess it looked so impressive that the audience started to get behind Elgin and chant Big Mike. Uh, Elgin hit Cage with um, uh, he he did the Brian Cage like claps that you know Kenny Omega gets and Cage gets the the Terminator clap and he did this in preparation for hitting Cage with a lariat and then lifted him up and hit a sit out power bomb for a two count a buckle bomb and then Cage came back with a discus lariat. Both guys are down. The audience is into the match. Elgin hit a Canadian destroyer and when Cage kicked out, this place went nuts. <laughs> Just went nuts. It seemed to go to the next level at this point. Elgin lifted him up teasing a burning hammer but Cage blocked it. Uh, Cage then hit a V-trigger and an F5 for a near fall and then he called for the drill claw and he went for it and his back gave out. And this allowed Elgin to hit a pair of discus strikes, a buckle bomb, and then as he went for the Elgin bomb, it was countered with a roll-up, and Cage hooked the legs and pinned Michael Elgin at 14 minutes and 10 seconds to retain the title. And I think overall, given, um, you know, 
I, I'm sure Brian Cage, he's dealing with some limitations, but had a, a pretty strong match here with Michael Elgin. Really solid match. And I know I just said that I'm not a fan of uh, Brian Cage when it comes to his character and, and cutting promos and whatnot. But damn it, if the man isn't impressive in the ring, John Pollock. Like, I have never seen a big match on impact that he's been in, you know, for the title or defending the title that I haven't been impressed by the dude. And I thought Elgin was a great foil for him. You know, they were both these big hosses as a good old JR would say, but they were able to incorporate, you know, the Canadian destroyer from dudes this size and, you know, to, to, uh, do the, the leap over the top that, that, uh, cage did at a, for a man, his size, like it was just impressive. Uh, I thought that it, again, really solid match, but they made the right call not making this the main event because I do think as much as I like this match and as much as I was pleasantly surprised by it, it would have had a hard time following Sammy and Tessa. Yeah, I, I, I didn't have a problem with this going on second to last. And, you know, going into this show, I thought Tessa and Sammy Callahan was one of the strongest built matches. And when they announced it was going on last, I really had no issue with it because I felt like I... I really think that Tessa Blanchard is someone you can headline shows with. And I really like the fact that they were willing to try it out and do something different and, and put, and uh, label her as someone that can headline a show. So I, I was in favor of the move to put them on last. Um, after the match, Elgin grabs the title and he attacks Brian Cage with it. He puts the title over his shoulder and he walks over to Don Callis. He calls this bullshit and tells Callis, look at him. He's down. And he sent Callus into the ring, and it looked like he was going to attack Don again when a masked man came into the ring and hit a gore onto Michael Elgin. And they cut away and cut to these color bars, and we come back. The man that everyone knew was Rhino ran through the crowd, and Josh Matthews never identified him by name, and – uh Unfortunately, it was Rhino posting photos at the South Fork Ranch on Sunday and uh, subsequently Mike Johnson reporting that Rhino would be at this show that I think tipped off everyone that this was going to be happening. Uh, But nevertheless, um, okay, I'll say this. I thought the way to introduce him was done very clever. I kind of liked the way that they were trying to conceal the identity, even though everyone still knew who it was, which I think sometimes promoters can overthink themselves and try – like, Lorne Michaels has this rule when he does sketches and someone is impersonating a famous celebrity or whoever that they're doing in the sketch is that he still wants the audience to know who the cast member is. Mm. That it, because I can't remember the example of who it was that they, they went through makeup and wardrobe and, and Lorne Michaels said that you look so much like this person that we don't know it's you. So it, it's kind of a weird analogy. But in this one, they hit it. But everyone knew who this was. The gore was done, and it was left like you were clearly, it, without stating the name, you knew who it was. That said, it is Rhino. And I don't know <laughs> if Rhino coming in for what looks to be a pretty big spot off the top is the guy I would be going out of my way to sign right now in 2019. I'm fine if this guy settles into a utility role, but like there is so much talent out there that I would be scouring the planet for the undiscovered stars of tomorrow that I don't know if if Rhino would be my choice right now in 2019 for the spot. So you're saying that because Rhino was seen at at South Fork Ranch and uh you know 
there's very little mystery. We won't get a who shot JR cliffhanger or, or in this case, a who gored Big Mike cliffhanger. Uh, there's no <laughs> intrigue behind it. <laughs> Maybe on Impact, we're just going to have a shower scene where this never happened. I I wouldn't put it past them, but I I don't have a problem with this if they use him the right way. And to me, the right way is much the same way they use Van Damme and Dreamer and Sabu and all these old ECW guys. You know, they're they're going to get their novelty pop, but at the end of the day. They need to be here for the express purpose of building up our homegrown talent and our current crop of stars. So if they want to use Rhino as a guy to build up Elgin or to build up Moose, I'm fine with it. I just don't need to see Rhino in main events at this stage of his career. Yeah, well, it would seem right off the bat it's something with Elgin, and then, yeah, maybe you do something with Moose as well. Um, we'll see. I'm sure the guy's coming in and probably has uh, – a lot of motivation after, you know, he's largely been on the sidelines of WWE for so long. And I mean, opting to leave the company, even though he was offered a raise, but you know, with the kind of idea that he wasn't going to be all that utilized, he was just going to be paid to be with the company and not have an active role. So anyway, that was the introduction there. And then they announced bound for glory for Sunday, October the 20th. And it would be taking place in Chicago where it looked like these four mysterious men in this ad were plotting to, like, uh, hack into a system. Uh, they were all on, like, a group laptop. I had to see, first of all, okay, there's a couple things with this, John. Number one, uh, Chicago's a great town. It's a great, it's a great city. They didn't announce the venue, by the way. Um, maybe that'll be known with more information on Monday, but uh, they did not list a venue. They just said yeah. Chicago. So yeah, it's it's a great spot. It's a great town. Great wrestling fans in Chicago. And MLW, I know this MLW has been doing tremendous there at Cicero Stadium. I think they've sold it out now three times in a row. So mm. um you know, and of course the success of other promotions like All In. Like Chicago is a great wrestling town. It's a yeah, great town. And, to and it's to. a big deal because uh Impact hadn't been hadn't done a pay per view from there in, in what, ten years? Probably, yeah. I mean they did Bound for Glory there. When, 2007, 2008, one of, one yeah. of those? Because I remember them doing the uh, the one with all of them dressed up as, like, the, the classic mobsters. You had, like, yes. Joe and all of them. Uh, I do remember that promotion. Maybe that was, yeah, late 2000s. So I I, I get it. I get Chicago. Uh, my thing, though, you mentioned those four gentlemen. And I was trying to figure out who those four guys were. At first, I was like, is that uh, OVE or is that is that the Rascals or – or are they just four random dudes making fun of AEW? Because two of those guys could have been the Bucks, and two of those guys could have been Cody and Kenny. So was 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 that what we were going for here, Impact? Oh wow, maybe you were you were looking into this very deep, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It, it just seemed very strange. I didn't know what these four were doing. I didn't know what it was. Uh, how it tied into a wrestling theme, but it no. was. Uh, Look out, Chicago! We're coming. And then time for the main event, Sammy Callahan versus Tessa Blanchard. And man, this arena was all behind Tessa when the bell rang. And that's how the whole match played out. This crowd was so behind Tessa Blanchard. Don Callis brought it up how it's so rare in today's day and age for the crowd to be behind one singular person throughout a match. And yeah, I think they did a really good job building this up. And Callahan was an awesome heel 
in this match, and Tessa was a phenomenal babyface in this match. And what you got was, to, to me, like a really well done 15 minute match. And we got Sammy Callahan just playing the completely despicable heel. Um, and Blanchard would get her moments and then immediately get cut off. And the audience just wanted to see her get her offense in on Callahan. Um, uh, early on, Blanchard went for a pair of dives to the floor. And on the third one, she was caught and swung into the guardrail, followed by a Death Valley driver on the floor. Uh, Callahan continually cut her off. He told the fans to move as he teased power bombing her off the ramp, but Blanchard stopped and hit a cutter onto the ramp. Blanchard came back with strikes after Callahan gave her the middle finger and called her a bitch. Then Callahan attacked Blanchard uh, right in the shoulder, and Don Callis was so quick to point out that that's the that's where she broke her collarbone several years ago and ha- and was out for a long time, and instantly brought that up. So that was a really great attention to detail. Uh, Callahan applied an STS. Blanchard fought to the rope. Just great facial expressions. Referee gets knocked down. Blanchard, uh, uh, Callahan attacks Blanchard with a baseball bat. A second referee run- runs in. Blanchard kicks out, and Callahan attacks the second referee, and he's telling Blanchard to quit. She spits in his face, hits him with a low blow, and then Blanchard hits Callahan with her own gold bat. And Blanchard... <laughs> Hit Magnum, which is the uh, code breaker coming off the top, and Callahan kicked out of Magnum. So Blanchard immediately went to a crossface, and they did like the Benoit spot from WrestleMania 20, where Callahan was going for the rope, and then Blanchard flipped over into the middle. Everyone's chanting tap, and I'm just thinking, this place is going to explode when he taps, and he's just going to put the hand up and just milk it. But instead, he stood up. And hit a packaged tombstone for a two count. Blanchard puts her thumbs up, turns, gives him the thumbs down, and Callahan immediately nails her with the cactus special pile driver. One, two, three. Sammy Callahan pins Tessa Blanchard. And this whole crowd is just like, what? What the <laughs> we were all on board for this. Like we were all set to celebrate. This was Kawhi Leonard hitting that buzzer beater and it bounces off the rim off the third shot and misses had they booked it. I was very surprised by this outcome. Um, So afterwards um, the audience is just stunned and afterwards Callahan is in the ring and they tease like he's going to attack Tessa with the bat and Josh Matthews is freaking out and Callahan has both baseball bats. He hands the golden one to Tessa and leaves her in the ring uh, to, for the glory spot. And the idea is that she earned Sammy Callahan's respect. And then they go off the air and Fight TV is still – the audio is still playing and you hear the whole crowd chanting Tessa. But we can't see this. And, I, man, they should have – stayed on this an extra three minutes and really let this moment sink in that Tessa was a superstar to this crowd. That was my gripe with cutting away too early. Um, I, I, I question the finish. I think you could have got away with Tessa winning this. I think that it was too overthought that uh, it won't be believable for Tessa to beat Sammy Callahan. And I guess they wanted to keep Sammy Callahan as their top heel and he had to win. And Tessa just wins by hanging with this guy for 15 minutes. But uh, I, I thought you gave away the biggest pop of the show that this would have been had Tessa won. So that that was kind of uh, – I thought you kind of threw a bit of a 
damper on the ending here because you, yeah, you, you took away what would have been the biggest pop of the show. I love this, John. Like I am somebody who, when it comes to intergender matches, 95% of the time, it's not something that I enjoy. It's not my cup of tea. But this story, Th- this worked really well, hooked me from the start. And I think it's because you have two compelling performers. You have Sammy Callahan, who has been the best heel on the show for the better part of a year and a half, maybe longer. And then you've got Tessa Blanchard, who is a star. And, you know, she's she's the rare commodity in impact wrestling who came in the door as a star who wasn't this pre-manufactured uh, attraction from another company. She was a star that was fresh. And, you know, it's different than LAX because LAX was a team that had star potential that became stars, you know, after climbing up the ladder and, and Impact giving them that stage. But Tessa was a star from, from the day she walked in the door in this company. And so when you put both of them together, it's this really interesting dichotomy. I love that the story never took a sexual turn, which it could have easily. And in, in something like this, you know, he he wasn't not to shade Joey Ryan, but he wasn't playing the Joey Ryan role here. Uh, he was somebody who was just this chauvinistic asshole. And Tessa was here to prove her worth. And so w- with that in mind, like I thought that they went out there, put on a hell of a show, the match of the night by far for me. I didn't even mind the finish because I think. It would have been a good, a good moment for Tessa to win, but I think that this makes sense. Like this, at first I was surprised, like you, John, when 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 uh, he hit the pile driver and got the win. But the more I think about it, and now you know, an hour and some change after the show's gone off the air, I think they made the right call because it it protects both people. You know, Sammy. Sammy won the match, but he was taken to the limit by somebody who he felt was inferior. And we had that show of respect at the end of the match. And Tessa gains a ton of credibility coming out of this. Like to me, Tessa Blanchard is one of your top five stars in the company easily Uh, after the night. I think you're, I I think she might be right near the top for me. I, I think that this woman is like, if, if I was running this company, this is my star, male or female, that I'm building my company around in Tessa Blanchard. That's yeah. how high I think of her in impact. She and is I, what I, we I thought. Think, like, this win would have been like the real icing on top of that. I just think if you came out of this, you'd have so much – I think you'd have so much buzz about Tessa winning this match. What does this mean? Is she going to now go after the impact title? It's uh, – like there, there's just so many ways you could go, and I just felt it would have been such a huge – reaction to her winning mm. um i i just think that it, it would have been the the more intriguing play to go with, with tessa blanchard but yeah i mean i mean it, it certainly did not ruin the match for me i don't want people to think that i thought this was i'm like you intergender matches if they work they work but uh, a, a lot of times they're not always my cup of tea but man i i had no issue with this and i thought it was a really well put together match and both both were fantastic. Uh, like I really enjoyed this match a lot. Um, I, I just I would I would have preferred Tessa just winning because I think it would have this place would have exploded. Like right now, Tessa Blanchard is who Becky Lynch says that she is. Like Tessa Blanchard is at a point right now where she is 
for lack of a better term, she is the man. She is made in this company, whereas Becky Lynch is somebody that, that was really hot, and then the company just kind of frittered that away. Uh, but I, I think Callis and Demore and the Brain Trust over at Impact are smart enough. I hope they're smart enough not to fritter away the the momentum that Tessa Blanchard has accrued, you know, over the past few months. And she is somebody that is not only great in the ring, she is somebody that has this lineage, uh, you know, because uh, of her father, but she's also somebody when you talk about wanting to expand the company, expand the tent, bring in new viewers. She's somebody that you can put on a morning show in a local market. You know, when they go to Chicago, she's somebody I would have on every every morning show, or every noon newscast in Chicago, because I think she's somebody that can bring people out to the arenas. Yeah, this is and, uh... and the post the post match. They need to run that that like that needs to be when they do the video on impact this Friday coming up. Yeah, that needs to be in the opening package that that this crowd just chanting her name after she's fought this hard fought match against the top heel in the company. Yeah, they they went off the air way too quick for me. I, I just think, man, if they had just let it go another minute or two, that would have been um, the, the proper send off was I think it would have really left that that mark of Tessa Blanchard being the, the focal point at, at the end of all of this. So um, I, I thought this was a really, I, I would say this was their strongest show since last year's Slammiversary. Uh, the last four matches, uh, if you didn't see this pay-per-view, um, I, I'd recommend the pay-per-view. And I think the last four yeah. matches really cement this as a, as a thumbs up show. I've, the, I don't think you can go below that. I thought this was a really, really great effort from impact. Pretty, Pretty much from start to finish, like we went over our quibbles on the show, but overall, I recommend this show highly. Yeah, the, the the streak continues. So, like they, to me, they have not had a bad pay per view since 2017. Uh, I think that the storytelling just keeps getting better. Uh, the the production is solid. You've got compelling characters like Eddie Edwards, like Moose, uh, like Tessa Blanchard, like Sammy Callahan on the show, Rich Swan. So you've got a good group of people. The question is a Will another good show mean new viewers, uh, particularly if they're able to get uh, the access deal done? And B, will this momentum keep going forward or will Impact find a way to once again, as they've shown historically over the course of time, get in their own way and and ruin a good thing before it really gets going? Well, it's to me, it's a it's a time in the industry when. Match quality and great storylines. They're, they're certainly a positive to have, but what's really important is having a strong television deal. And, yep. you know, we can't really get ahead of ourselves with, but I, I would say this, like not knowing where, where things are on, like, are we talking about this deal with access? Like we're, we're right at the goal line of this deal. And, you know, if you're an access executive and you're sitting down and you're watching this product tonight, um, it seems like, like a product that you would, Look at like this felt like a promotion that you would want to have. I, I would say like they really put out a great effort tonight, and I, I think you'd be really happy if you sat down and, and watched the show. And you're someone that's that's looking at potentially bringing this company onto your airwaves. Yeah, I think they've set themselves up. You know, they've given a good accounting of themselves. They've missed the window of opportunity in terms of kind of being that number two company. Uh, cause I think AEW has far surpassed them and, and quite frankly surpassed ROH and MLW for that matter as well. So they can't be the Beatles, but going back to the Simpsons, 
uh, analogy, they can be the B sharps and they can put on quality shows for a smaller audience. And I think there's a niche, like there's, there's an audience for impact. You know, I think even on the, on the, uh, forum, there were people saying, I haven't paid for an impact show in years and I'm considering putting down my money for Slammiversary. And so to those people who did, I think they got their money's worth. And to the people that were on the fence, I would say buy the replay because it's, it's a good show put on by a company that has gotten so much better over the last year and a half than maybe the last time you watched them when they were on Pop TV or Destination America. Yeah, I think it all comes down to perspective. Like, no one is talking about Impact being a world beater. I think it's, you know, they probably have their least amount of visibility that they've had, you know, going back to the Wednesday night pay-per-view days. Like, it's just, it's yeah. a product that's kind of fallen off the radar for people. And they need to have these big shows that are going to hopefully grab some interest from people. Uh, I did put out a poll on Twitter asking people what their best match of the night was. And we're limited to four candidates. But, uh, of the 286 votes, we had 36% for Sammy Callahan and Tessa Blanchard, 25% for Brian Cage, Michael Elgin, 24% for Monsters Ball, and 15% for the match of the year between Rich Swan and John Impact. So, I mean, even the Impact audience that watched this, I mean, had it as the, the fourth match of four here, which is not a slight. It was a very good match. But anyway, uh, puts into perspective some of Josh's uh, hyperbole afterwards. On the forum, uh, we do have some feedback here. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 20, Nate, where do you place your vote for the show? Ooh, I would give this a – I'd give this a solid 16 out of 20. 16 out of 20 is the new 6 out of 10. Uh, <laughs> the forum gave this one 14.4 out of 20. So a passing okay. grade, but not perfect. Um, I'll just go through. We have a few here. Uh Andrew from Cape Breton. I wanted to check out the show tonight. The wrestling world is really interesting and Impact seems to be in a weird spot. ROH has lost a lot of steam this year and right now it seems that Impact has a much better roster than ROH despite ROH obviously being bigger and more successful even in their rough state. I, I think that is a point worth bringing up, Nate, that it does feel like Impact has... Um, you know, our ROH has certainly gained, I think, a lot of negativity this year that for a long time was somewhat reserved for TNA. And I think that TNA mm. um, granted, they are not going to be able to be, I think doing the level of business that ROH is, is still doing, but it does feel like there is more positivity towards impact than ROH. And that was not the case for many, many years. Yeah. Not, not only more positivity that I'm, that I'm sensing from the audience, but Quite frankly, the, the the stories have been better. The 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 television has been more engaging. Yeah, I still catch Ring of Honor every every now and then, but there's nothing to really keep me coming back. Whereas with Impact, it's much harder to find than ROH. But there's something that like if I if I remember on Friday, like oh yeah, ten o'clock Impact, I, I'm gonna get something good. Brandon from Oshawa writes, I feel like I have the longest love-hate relationship in the world with Impact. I've been on and off for so long with their product. Finally, after tuning in to see the great Disco Inferno, I realize that they've got some pretty solid stuff right now. I'm really enjoying the product, and it's very easy to watch. I did not order the show, but I got home from work and was able to catch some of it by alternative means. I caught Cage and Elgin right in the middle and enjoyed what I saw. I think Elgin has been killing it as a badass heel monster, and he's even solid on the mic. What I didn't like was Rhino making his return. I don't understand why they need to keep going back to these ECW guys. They don't need them. No one is clamoring for an Elgin Rhino feud. Josh Matthews was also terrible. 
Callahan Blanchett has been one of my favorite feuds on Impact, and I totally expected Tessa to go over, but I'm glad they went with Callahan. He's been so great in his role, but he seems to always come out on the losing end. Mm. Where do you guys think they go with the Bound for Glory title match? I think they have a lot of different options that they can go to. Nate, if you are assessing tonight's show and what the desirable direction would be uh, from your standpoint, uh, what would you like to see that, that title match be? Well, first of all, that's a great point because I, I had thought of that. Like the other thing with Sammy winning the match is he's lost a lot of these big feuds. So I, I think, you know, that, that could have been their reasoning for putting him over is winning in the main event. Uh, he could be the guy that they're going with. They're top yeah. heel to take on Brian Cage. And that honestly, they, like, that I think their justification for it. Like, I don't think they're just putting guys over for no reason. I yeah. think there's thought into it. My, my my top two candidates would either be Callahan or Moose. And I think both would be, like, from a physical standpoint, I think just seeing Cage and Moose would be, would be pretty fun. But from a storyline perspective, I think Callahan is more than equipped to do the heavy lifting in terms of the storytelling with Brian Cage. Next up is Gerard. This week's, this year's Slammiversary marks one year of consistently good to great impact pay-per-views. This was no exception. Match of the night for him was Elgin and Cage. Performance of the night goes to Moose, who managed to carry 2009 RVD to a good match, and Moose took some wild bumps along the way. Thought Blanchard should have won. She's on fire now, and Impact should go all the way with her. The Lucha Bros are gone, and LAX probably just wrestled their last Impact match. With these departures and the fact we know some talent like Killer Cross want out, do you think the much more competitive North American wrestling scene will soon catch up with Impact and seriously weaken a product that I think has put on good weekly TV and pay-per-views since Don Callis and Scott Demore took over? Um, yeah, whether whether that is true or not uh, regarding talent uh, going, um, that is a reality, Nate, that these that impact is going to have to face is that they are in a very competitive marketplace where mm. there is such a premium on high end talent. And LAX, you have to imagine every company is going to want these two. Yeah. And that's the thing. You know, if you if if you create stars, then eventually those stars are going to want to go to greener pastures where they can make more money for themselves and their family. And so. While losing LAX is is tough because they've they've been one of my favorite parts of Impact for the better part of a year, uh, maybe longer. Uh, Impact's in good shape. I think you know if I'm Callus, Demore, whoever, I identify you know the, like you said, John, those five to ten people that are that are the nucleus of my roster, and then everybody else. Yeah, it's great to have LAX. Yeah, it's great to have somebody like, you know, just throwing it out there, an RVD. But we can fill talent. We can find talent. There's a lot of talent out there who is not on TV, who would love to come work for a company that has TV, even if that TV is currently the Pursuit Channel. Uh, so, yeah, I think like, you know, we talked about the North. I didn't know who those guys were nine months ago. And now they're one of my favorite parts of the show. So I think there's a bunch of people out there that are talented, that can talk, that can wrestle, that they just haven't been given a stage. And if I'm Impact, yeah, I've got my five to ten people that are my guys and girls, but there's talent out there everywhere, man. And and so, you know, you're going to lose people, but you also have the ability to bring fresh stars to TV, which is a cool thing. Yeah, I, I think certainly LAX are going to be – um, now that now that Kawhi Leonard has made his decision, now it's LAX <laughs> on the clock and everyone's going to be paying attention to. Uh, the last one here comes from Quinn. He says that this was the first Impact pay-per-view he's purchased since the very first TNA show in 2002. Wow. So, I don't know what brought him back tonight, but this was it after, after uh, <laughs> Jesus, 17 years. 
I've watched a few shows on Twitch and I've enjoyed it. I figured I'd give this a shot. Um, he lists a bunch of his thoughts here. I'm just going to read the last two here. Cage versus Elgin was my match of the night. I was not expecting anything like the match they put on. I feel bad not seeing Cage wrestle before. I judged that book by its cover. The whole big man moving like a cruiserweight concept is cliche, but Cage is very smooth and believable. Both guys work hard. I hope they stay away from Rhino. I'd rather see Impact grow their own talent. <laughs> And he says, I was worried that putting the intergender match on last was just to say that Impact did it first, but I'm glad it was the main event. Tessa looks like a star. I'm not sure how she can go back to wrestling women, though. I'm glad Impact stayed away from the whole women belong in the kitchen angle. Of all, overall, I'm glad I purchased this event, but I don't know if I'll be buying their next pay-per-view. I probably won't wait 17 <laughs> years, though. 11 out of 20. That's that's the pull quote for, for, for when they put this on, on uh, Blu-ray. Uh I won't be waiting 17 years until I buy another show from these guys. <laughs> Can't ask for more. You got Quinn's money after 17 years. You, but uh, really... Tess is going to be fine, man. Like like you said, John, the the knockouts division has been restocked and reloaded. You know, with uh, the four women that were in the Monsters Ball match, you also got Jordan Grace and Kira Hogan. Like, there's a lot of talent in the knockouts division, and I think that Tessa going back quote-unquote, you know, taking a step down, quote-unquote, to the knockouts division, that's not going to hurt her. It's just going to bring the knockouts division up. I think that's going to be the effect it has. Yeah. What, what would you like to see Tessa, um, how, where she goes uh, from this? Honestly, I think I would put the belt on Havoc because I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Jessica Havoc, and then I would go Havoc versus Blanchard. I think that's a, that's a fun matchup right there. All right. Well, that is going to wrap things up here for the end of our big Slammiversary post-show. Um, but, Nate, I teased it at the beginning. Uh, you did get to see Spider-Man Far From Home, and I'm sure you're going to be reviewing this uh, at large. But what are your, your Cole's notes on on the movie? Yes, uh, there will be a video review out uh, early this coming week on the Kings of Sport Patreon. But uh, just really quick. I thought it was fun. Like if if you're somebody out there who enjoyed Homecoming, I think you're going to really enjoy Far From Home. Uh, the love story worked as, as this perfectly awkward high school love story. Tom Holland continues to be the perfect Spider-Man slash Peter Parker. Like he is far and away my favorite person to play this role. Like I love Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker, and I thought Andrew Garfield was a good Spider-Man, but Tom Holland's got them both. And he was good. Jake Gyllenhaal is really good in the movie. Uh, Nick Fury, Sam, Sam Jackson. Uh, okay, w- without spoiling anything, yes. okay? On, <laughs> on a scale of 1 to 10, the mid credit scene. Oh, the mid credit scene, I would give that a 10 out of 10. What was the reaction like in your theater? Because my, my theater went nuts. I, was, I saw it twice. That, that's how much I enjoyed Spider-Man Far From Home. I saw it Tuesday night, and then I saw it again on uh thursday uh with my nieces and tuesday night you know you got the hardcore uh mcu people there and the place went nuts and then my nieces are are marvel fans but they're not like these these hardcore obsessive people that with the mcu so when we saw it and the certain thing happens in the mid-credit scene my oldest niece just started elbowing me in the side. Like, do you see who that is? Do you see who that is? And so, yeah, I think if if you thought Rhino was the biggest return this week, <laughs> wait till you go see Spider-Man Far From Home. Oh, yeah. We had another identity uh, revealed. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, uh, I'm sure we'll... The, uh, the, uh, the end credit scene, without getting too much into it, 
opens up a lot of possibilities for the Marvel movies going forward. So I, I was just pleased start to finish with, uh, with Far From Home. Well, uh, you will have your extended review coming up this week at the Kings of Sport. If you enjoy hearing from Nate Milton, you can catch him every month here at postwrestling.com with the Rocky Maivia Picture Show. The next one will be dropping on Saturday, July the 20th. And what is playing in the Milton Cinema uh, coming up in two weeks? Oh, uh, this is... We were about to enter the stretch of two of my favorite rock movies, and I wish that I had almost delayed the launch of the Rocky Mountain Picture Show so that these two episodes would coincide with the NFL season. But I guess the CFL just kicked off, so it kind of works. But we've got Gridiron Gang coming up next, followed by the game plan. And so this is Rock going back to his football roots, and we've got a Disney comedy in the game plan. But before that, we've got a quote unquote inspired by true life story uh, of the gridiron gang, which is the rock starting a football program in a youth correctional facility. And so, yeah, it's, 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 it's not a great movie, but it's, it's, you know, like Rob Van Dam has a soft spot in his heart for bullies. I have a soft spot in my heart (laughs) for whenever the rock tries to do a sports movie. Well, even if it's not a great movie, it's always a great review. So you can catch that uh, Saturday, July 20th. The next Rocky Maivia Picture Show will be dropping. And Nate, for people that just – they can't wait uh, once a month to hear from Nate Milton. <laughs> you can do it on a weekly basis. And where can they go uh, to check out the Kings of Sport and, and all the work that you have out there? Yes, uh, you can check out the Kings of Sport. We do have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com backslash the Kings of Sport, where uh, the latest episode that is up right now is our conversation about NBA free agency from last week. Uh, Marcus and I discussed uh, some of the big moves going on. We, we also did the video version of that review. Uh, this week, because it only happened after we had recorded that show, because of course it did, uh, we're going to be talking about Kawhi Leonard. That, that's the big story. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George going to the Clippers. So now we've got this big resurgent rivalry between the Lakers and the Clippers and Marcus's neck of the woods. Uh, we've also got a couple new episodes of the 20 Twin Twin, which is our political podcast featuring Chris from L.A., who is a political science professor, uh, talking about the Democratic field for the 2020 presidential race. We've got a couple new episodes of that coming out here pretty soon. And like I said, the review of Spider-Man Far From Home will be out uh, sometime early this week, probably Monday or Tuesday. Uh, so for the folks that want to get my thoughts on the latest in the never-ending series of MCU films uh, that I'm sure we're going to get the next 20 years. Well, I look forward to hearing you and Marcus uh, explain how the heart of the Toronto Raptors has, has been ripped <laughs> out. Maybe you can title the episode Kawhi Leonard Why. <laughs> So definitely check that out. You can follow him at N, the number eight, M-O-Z-A-I-K on Twitter. Uh, a must follow out there. And I'm always happy when I get to chat with Nate Milton, uh, whether it be about impact wrestling or anything, life in general. Nate, it's always great to have you on the show. And you and I, I guess we are now bound for glory in Chicago. Yes. Yeah, so now we just need to find two other shady gentlemen and and uh, get in the car and, and do whatever the hell those guys are doing on that promo. And uh, I'll see you in Chi-Town. Yeah. Maybe those four guys are trying to, like, hack in and steal the pay-per-view.
They're they're, they're the internet pirates that are going to have a justice come to them. In they, they, they work for a nefarious means cable company. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks to everyone for joining us tonight. Wei Ting and I are back Monday night with Rewind to Raw, and you can catch everything. Postwrestling.com, we have a re- review of the first night of the G1. That is up there now, both audio and video that you can check out. And, of course, Post Wrestling Cafe is where you can get all of our bonus shows, including a review of every G1 show, uh, which are going to be taking place for the next five weeks. 19 G1 shows will have each of them covered for you. So thanks, everyone, and we'll speak with you on Monday night. Welcome to Prime Video's Culture Rated Collection. This is the place where black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis, The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.